0: Book Two, Chapter Nine of Stolen Idols. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stolen Idols by E. Phillips Oppenheim. Book Two, Chapter Nine. Endicott, although abstracted. "'seemed for him to be in an almost genial frame of mind "'when he obeyed the summons of the evening gong "'and, meeting Clare in the hall, "'waited to enter the dining-room with her. "'A tiring day, uncle?' she asked him. "'Not particularly,' he answered. "'I made only two calls. "'Philpott's kept me some time at the British Museum "'or I could really have caught the earlier train. "'How is the piano?' "'I haven't tried it,' she admitted.' "'Your aunt all right to-day?' "'More confessions, uncle. I haven't even seen her.' Endicott, as he took his place, removed his spectacles for a moment, rubbed his eyes wearily, and then looked across at his niece. "'What have you been doing all day then?' he demanded. Claire summoned up all her courage. "'Mr. Ballaston called for me, and I went over to the Cromer golf-links with him,' she confided. "'I had a lesson at golf, some lunch.' and afterwards we came home through Blakeney. Her uncle, rather to Clare's surprise, made no comment. The service of dinner appeared to interest him more than usual, and he certainly ate with appetite. Railway travelling agrees with me, I think, he remarked. I feel that I shall enjoy working this evening. After dinner I shall have a pipe on the lawn with my coffee, and then, the half hour which I have been looking forward to for so long— "'Did you get what you wanted from Mr. Philpot?' she asked him, with a queer little note of eagerness in her tone. "'I did,' he admitted. "'Unless I am very much mistaken, I can fill in all the missing spaces in that manuscript within an hour.' "'By the by, Clare, you didn't come down again last night after you had gone to bed, did you? Or hear anything unusual?' She shook her head. "'I was much too sleepy. Why?' He toyed nervously with some bread upon his plate. His eyes sought hers almost furtively. Just an idea, he said. I left my work for five or ten minutes and walked around the garden. When I came back, my papers were all disturbed. I didn't stir out of my room after I went upstairs, she assured him. Was anything missing? Were there any papers there that mattered? As it happened, there were not, he replied. If it had been tonight, well it might have been different although a manuscript in chinese even though translated as it will be would be scarcely likely to attract an ordinary thief would it she moved in her chair a little uneasily i should think not she replied in any case if you were only out of the room for a few minutes who could have entered without your seeing them just so he agreed as you suggest it might have been fancy or a breath of wind from outside or the opening of a door you mustn't sit up too late to-night she told him you're looking very tired he nodded gently all the work i have to do he said will be finished in an hour afterwards i may write a letter while you go in and see your aunt his sudden fit of what was for him almost garrulity left him and he relapsed into his usual silence punctuated only by monosyllabic replies to claire's remarks he accompanied her into the garden, however, at the conclusion of the meal, and whilst they sat together over their coffee, he asked her an abrupt question. "'How old are you, Claire? Twenty-one, she told him. Twenty-one one last May.' "'You are a sensible girl,' he went on. "'When I heard that I was going to have a niece to look after, and that she was coming out to China for me to take her to England, I must confess that I was terrified.' such an upheaval in my daily life seemed to me calamitous i have been agreeably surprised your coming has been a pleasure to me claire i only wish that you had come before her eyes suddenly filled with tears it was the first time he had ever spoken to her in such a fashion i am a poor adviser for a young girl he continued a little regretfully and i am afraid that your aunt is hopelessly prejudiced in the matter I cannot bring myself to believe, however, that the society of this young man, Gregory Ballaston, is a good thing for you. I distrust the family ethics. I cannot help thinking that he is hoping through you to arrive at the information which so far I have refused his father and uncle. I was with him for several hours today, Nunks, and he never even mentioned it, she ventured. He is going out to Canada in a month or so to earn his own living. Endicott sighed. I'm full of prejudices, he confessed. The last twenty years of my life have been spent in abstractions, have passed like a dream, away from the world which counts, which one ought really never to lose sight of. I should be an ill adviser to any one. Go and play something. Claire disappeared into the house, and soon the sound of her music drifted out in little ripples of melody through the perfumed stillness. Her uncle listened for some time without any sign of pleasure or the reverse. Then he rose to his feet and looked up across the roofs of the village, over the green slopes in the background, to where a few lights were slowly appearing from the windows of the hall. Presently the music ceased, and Claire stole out to him. She passed her arm through his. "'It is a very beautiful home, that uncle,' she said softly. DON'T YOU THINK IT WOULD BE A SIN TO HAVE IT ALL BROKEN UP?' A BETTER RACE MIGHT FOLLOW, HE MUTTERED. SHE SHOOK HER HEAD. THEY BELONG, SHE SAID GENTLY. HE TURNED AWAY WITH A LITTLE GRUNT AND ENTERED HIS STUDY. FOR A FEW MINUTES Claire FLITTED ROUND THE GARDEN. THERE WAS A NIGHTINGALE SINGING SOMEWHERE IN THE DISTANCE TO WHICH SHE STOPPED TO LISTEN. EVEN THE NOISES FROM THE VILLAGE THROUGH THE GATHERING TWILIGHT BECAME ALMOST MELODIOUS. Presently she passed through the postern gate, strolled across the lane, and entered the drawing-room of the little house through the wide-flung windows. Madame lay stretched upon her couch, listless and weary. She welcomed Claire with only the ghost of a smile. "'Where have you been all day, child?' she asked. "'Enjoying myself, I am afraid,' was the remorseful reply. "'Gregory came and fetched me, and we went over to Cromer.' "'How did he seem?' Madame inquired with a shade of interest, "'almost eagerness in her manner. "'Was he very depressed?' "'Claire shook her head, thankful for the twilight. "'He seemed very much as usual,' she answered. "'If anything, a little nicer. "'I enjoyed my day very much. "'The only thing I felt was that I was neglecting you.' Madame made a faint gesture of denial. "'I am very glad to think that you had such a happy day, dear,' she said. "'I am glad you came in for a moment, though. "'I don't know why it is, but tonight I have nerves. "'Where is your uncle?' "'Working away as usual at his Chinese manuscripts,' Claire replied. "'He went to London this morning and came back at five o'clock.' "'Madame nodded. "'I saw the car go with him and bring him back. "'I don't know how it is, but the sight of everyone today makes me uneasy. "'Even Bertram seemed queer.' "'He sat with me for an hour this afternoon. As a rule, he soothes me. Today, somehow or other, he frightened me. I feel as though there were a sort of psychological thunder in the air.' "'Aunt, you mustn't let yourself imagine such foolish things,' Claire begged. "'Everything and every one is as usual. Uncle, as a matter of fact, was in remarkably good spirits this evening.' Can anyone help fancies and presentiments, my dear, who lies here hour after hour, day by day, as I do, Madame sighed? I know it is silly, but instinct is stronger than reason, and Bertram, at any rate, was strange to-day. Every now and then he left off talking, and there seemed to be something always behind his eyes miss besant entered the room and claire called to her she began to make preparations with firm capable fingers for moving the couch claire bent over and kissed her aunt no more morbidness please she insisted i'll be over early to-morrow morning i may have some news for you your uncle has found what he wanted in london then madame asked claire nodded assent he told me a short time ago she confided "'that in half an hour he would know everything there is to be known.' "'She crossed the lane and passed through the postern gate, "'gazing wistfully over the roofs of the village houses towards the park. "'Her preparations for the night when she finally reached her room "'took her longer than usual. "'It was late when, after she had turned out the lights, "'she moved to the window and stood there for a moment looking out.' Suddenly the little reminiscent smile upon her lips changed to one of actuality, of real and instant pleasure. The moonlight was as yet faint, but crossing the stile which led from the park, she caught a glimpse of a white shirt. For a moment she was tempted. He might be coming even as far as the gardens, late though it was. Then she looked back at her neatly folded clothes and shook her head. "'Claire,' she soliloquized, "'you're a sentimental idiot.' after which she turned out the light, got into bed, and slept soundly. When she awoke, the sun was shining into her room, the thrushes and blackbirds were singing, and there were sounds of unusual movement downstairs. Still only half-awake, she sat up, listening to the footsteps upon the gravel beneath her window. There were voices, too, muffled yet agitated, Then she heard one word, a dramatic, horrible slur against the background of the summer morning. Dead, cold dead he were. For a moment she shook herself. She felt that she must be in a nightmare. Then she became conscious of the reality of those footsteps below, the renewed murmuring of awe-stricken voices. She sprang out of bed. Before she could reach the window she heard the same hoarse, shocked voice with its quaint Norfolk inflection shot right through the head that's what happened to him writing there at the table with his papers lying all over the place there's a revolver on the floor police sergeant Closton won't have it touched she leaned screaming out of the window amongst the little crowd below were the village policemen both the gardeners and mr wilkinson the clergyman tell me what has happened she cried out frantically they seemed all stricken dumb "'Tell me, tell me what it is,' she insisted. "'Mr. Wilkinson turned towards the front entrance. "'If you will put on a dressing-gown and come to your door,' he said, "'I will speak to you.' "'She met him halfway down the stairs. "'Her knees were trembling, and she clung to the banisters for support. "'Tell me what it is,' she demanded. "'Is it uncle?' "'My dear young lady,' he announced solemnly, "'a terrible thing has happened. "'You must prepare yourself for the worst.' Your uncle has been shot through the head, apparently at some time during the night. The doctor is with him now, but—but he is quite dead. Dead, she repeated mechanically. All his papers are in a state of great disorder, the clergyman concluded. I am afraid—it is a terrible thing to say, but I am afraid there is no doubt that your uncle has been murdered. End of Book Two, Chapter Nine